Thank you for tuning in to episode 17 of African and American with your girl, Six the Goddess. And keep in mind, I'm a goddess and I'm sensitive about my shift. I hope you're all well. Peace and love, family. I'm well. We're going to go ahead and get right into this week's topics. We're going to just go ahead and address the elephant in the room. We're going to just go ahead and address what everyone has been talking about, what's been plastered all over the news. And that is Bill Cosby. Because I have a few things to say about this situation because there's a lot there's a lot going on in this case than what meets the eye. First of all, what I will say is that's what he gets for messing with white women. That's the first thing I'll say, okay? <laughs> before I mean before we go into any more detail, I will say I don't care if it's true or not. In my eyes, you admitted to sleeping with these white girls. So whatever you get, you get. If he dies, he dies. So that's my number one feeling on the situation. I don't feel bad for any black man that gets involved with white women knowing their privilege and the system of white supremacy that will always protect their feelings and interests over yours i don't feel bad for any black man that mess with black mess with white women and then get railroaded as though you did not learn from all your grandfathers and great grandfathers of what happens when you play with them and everything can be all nice you know when they're getting their way and then in a minute that they don't get their way they have a switch up that can go on and they can carry it through like I said because black man white girl who are they going to favor we all know who's who the favor is going to so if you put yourself in that situation as a black man to put so much trust of your whole life and well-being into a white woman who is not your reflection so therefore she doesn't have a genuine love for you as a man you get what you get that's like seeing a hundred people walk down a sidewalk and fall into a ditch and you walk right down that same path. Well, if you fall in that ditch, then baby, I mean, you basically signed up for it. <laughs> so that's the first thing I'm going to say about Bill Cosby. The next thing that I'm going to say is this. If we look at what the definition of sexual harassment is, it is defined as unwanted sexual attention or advances. So now with that being said, how many women verbally if they are accusing a man of sexual harassment or assault how many women verbally said no or i do not um i do not consent so my confusion in cases like this is most of the time these women get on the stand and they and and they're like did you ever say no and they're like no well then you know, how do we have a case for sexual assault if you never verbally said anything? You know, as women, we have to be aware of the rape culture we live in. You need to speak up, you know, just like you have fire drills, tornado drills. I feel like as women, you need to kind of have drills on what would ever happen if you are being sexually assaulted or raped. Because you can't just wing this and then if you're in that situation, you freeze up. Because then your, your, your attacker can possibly walk free because you never said no. You know, you never, you never verbally said like, listen, you know, if, even if it's in a workplace, like you have a coworker that is quote unquote sexually harassing you and, and you never say like, leave me alone. I do not want to date you. I do not want your attention. If you never say that, 
then technically, legally, he can't be held accountable because you never vocally said that it was unwanted. So as women, we got to step our game up and we have to be prepared and understand the culture and society that we live in until we can get men to kind of understand rape culture as well to stop putting women in those scenarios but that's going to take time so until that happens as a woman you have to learn when you're in that situation it is not the time to choke you know sometimes you might be in that scenario and there is nothing you can do to stop it but you can do your part so that if and when this situation goes down you have what you need to get justice for what happened to you. So women, we got to be prepared. You know, we, we can't just feel like, oh, it'll never happen to you. It could happen to any of us. Okay. Now you have these, um, these ugly white girls coming forth and, and all these ugly white girls are all washed up, you know, has been white girls. And I, and unless I am in the room with Bill Cosby and these women when all these allegations go down. I think that all we can really say is who knows? Who knows if he really did rape them or not? I don't know. Only because there's too many brothers that have gotten got like that. There's brothers serving time in prison right now for rapes they never committed. You know, there's brothers serving jail and time in prison right now for women that completely use rape allegations as revenge or vengeance for their own gain, whether it be financially or just to be nasty, or maybe the man didn't want to deal with them anymore. So sexual assault cases are so difficult because they literally are a matter of he said, she said it literally is, you know, one person's word against the other. So it's okay to sometimes say, you know what? You know, we don't know. Okay. I don't know if Bill Cosby did it or not, but what I will say is, you know, you have a black wife at home. If you stepped out on your black wife with white women, you get whatever you get. I don't feel bad for Bill Cosby. I don't feel like, oh my God, I can't believe that they're doing him like this because either way, you've already admitted that you slept with these women. So you cheated on your black wife with these white girls and thought that something good was going to come from it. If you're that naive, then baby, whatever happens, it just happens. But something else that we have to talk about is real wealth, real wealth for black people in this country. Because the reality is it can take 75 to 100 years to get the ball rolling to generate real wealth. So let's talk about that. Too many times we see white people say things like, oh, black people need to get over slavery. They need to get over it. Nothing's holding you back. You have equal opportunity. Uh, you know, the reason why they say that is because that is the case for them. If you are a white American who is broke, then it is no one's fault but your own. You have been allowed to legally run businesses and save money for four or 500 years in this country. So if your uh, ancestors before you did not build wealth to set you up and you're struggling, you are lazy. <laughs> okay. You haven't stepped your game up. That is not true for black people. It is so insensitive and disgusting to tell black people about what they don't have because they're lazy. When in reality, black people have only been able to operate business without interference for maybe, maybe 20 or 30 years. Because prior to that, 
you know, we were still having, uh, not that we don't have the issue anymore, but it was way more, uh, it was, it was way more common for blacks to be denied big business loans for the color of their skin, that many of our grandparents were not even allowed to have bank accounts. Okay, so you cannot expect black people really in only two generations that have really been allowed to have money and save money and invest money to expect us to have um, real wealth. So what happens when black people do try to make moves to acquire real wealth? They're killed, whether it be physically or legally. So we have people like Bill Cosby, people like Michael Jackson, people like Prince, who are in the entertainment industry and were getting ready to make major moves to give them real wealth, real power, and real control in the media. And they all surprisingly end up dead, which goes back to my original statement that I've said a few episodes back, which is that there are no black people in this country that truly have real money. Any money that you have, it is fake. It's a facade. It doesn't have any real meaning. You can't make any real difference, which is why I hate how complacent we have gotten in this system because we feel like we've made a few hundred thousand or a few million and we're successful, not knowing that those pennies mean nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. And, and what happens to black people, that's how you know that none of us have no real wealth or money. Because the ones that are on their way to that level are murked. So if you still living and you think you a rich nigga, you, you a lie. It's just not the way it works. That's why we can't let, you know, a job that we get or money we make turn us into shucking and jiving Uncle Tom ass coons. Because your pennies don't mean anything when you look at the bigger picture. Okay, if you're just looking for money to fulfill your own indulgent wants and needs, then yeah, I guess in that respect, you may be successful. But when we're talking, you have companies like Chase, Bank of America, Geico, that are 100 years old. And you have to think of how are they able to be the powerhouse corporations they are now? Because they started out with free labor. They started out with stolen money. So they had little to no overhead. And now these companies have been going on for hundreds of years, which gives them the power that they have at this point. Chase, Chase and Geico and Bank of America and other corporations did not start 20 years ago. They would not be the powerhouses they are had they started 20 or 30 years ago, which is the case for so many black people, which is why you don't see many blacks owning corporations. We may own small businesses or even large businesses, but when we're talking about powerhouse, real wealth companies, it's just not happening. And that's why majority of your, I mean, we have to really let this sink into our heads at how serious this is when a majority of our grandparents could not even have bank accounts. When majority of our grandparents and great grandparents had their money stolen out of the banks. I'm talking about get to the bank and it's like, what money? So it's so ignorant. 
to be so selfish as to say, well, I made a few hundred thousand or I made a few million, so forget everyone else. And why is that? Why is it that more times than not, the black people who are quote unquote wealthy or successful tend to be very Uncle Tom-like? Well, you do have some black owned businesses that have been operating for long periods of time. However, a lot of black businesses that were left alone to operate in peace uh, years and years back were were able to operate because it was run by black people that sucked white people's booties. So now these are the white people that take their hat off and, oh, yes, um, yes, massa. So they're able to run their business and make their money to take care of their family. But guess what? That mentality gets passed down to their children and their children. That in order to have our business and keep our money, we got to make sure that we're real nice to the white folk, which is why the bourgeoisie class is more likely to be on that tap dancing shit for the white folks and why impoverished blacks are more prone to um, kind of shut whites out and to not really fall for that okie doke. Okay, so it's kind of a mentality that gets passed down. That, that's why I say all the time that normally uh, wealthy black people are not making real moves for their communities because they've gotten as far as they are by neglecting their people, by turning against their own people. They come from a bloodline of Uncle Tom's. So you can talk to them till you're blue in the face about our people and our children and they don't want to hear it because they have money and their parents before them had money and they had money and they don't want the problems that you have. (laughs) You know, so the Bill Cosby situation. Now, if it was not white women that he was sleeping with, I would feel bad. I would feel like, man, this is a black man who was getting ready to make a major move in the media for, you know, for himself, for us as a people. If I really felt like he was, you know, purchasing media outlets to better us, I would feel, I would feel, you know, for him in any way, shape or form. But the reality is that most of these people in the entertainment industry, whatever money they're making, they're not using it for the betterment of our communities for real. They're giving away just enough to put it in music videos and to make social media posts about it to make them look like they care. But they're not really. If you think about it, all the black people in entertainment right now, if they pooled their money together, they could easily have our own networks where we can portray healthy black families, healthy black women and men on those stations. But they're not doing that. You know, they, they, they you know, they, they, they'll donate like, you know, $20,000 to HBCUs, quote unquote, and they have a $100,000 necklace on. (laughs) So (laughs) this is why we can't look to celebrities, quote unquote, to do for us as a people, because doing for us as a people means that they will no longer be a celebrity. You know, they, with them, they're too busy donating to causes like the American Cancer Foundation and Make-A-Wish, which service white children before black children, by the way. You know, they're too busy giving to corporations like that because it's very important for them and their quote-unquote, you know, humanitarian efforts to make sure that it's on some all lives matter type type tips. You know, they're not going to be able to hold their positions Uh, in the industry or hold on to their dollars if they were really out here like advocating strictly for black children only can you imagine what would happen to a celebrity if they did that 
You know what I'm saying? It's like they wouldn't be a celebrity anymore. We got to be responsible for ourselves. And, and a part of that is holding each other accountable. This is a word I hate. I hate the word shaming. There is no such thing as shaming when it comes to adults. The only people that should not be quote unquote shamed are children because they don't know any better. But too many times us as a people, we have this whole minding our business tip and it's not always time for us to mind our business. I think minding our business at the wrong time is one of the main contributions to majority of the issues that we have now as a people. Shaming people, holding people accountable is all a part of holding together a culture. Nowadays, we have so many people that are able to be on some straight BS and they're protected because everyone's like, don't shame them. But if you don't shame people and hold them accountable for their actions, then how do you evolve? How do you change? It, when, when we say that it takes a village, I don't think we're really understanding the power in that. Looking back, there's so many times in my life where I'm like, why did nobody like come to me you know, as, our, as, as people in our community and be like, listen, sister, you need to tighten up or listen, you need to be like, why do we do that? We always want to mind our business. And this is why this quote unquote minding our business thing is detrimental to us as a people. Because if we, if once again, we always have to remember we're doing everything for our children. So when we mind our business at these dysfunctional adults, what's happening is they are going to reproduce. And they are going to reproduce children that have the same dysfunctional mindsets that they have. And guess who your children are going to run into in their adult life? The children that are the products of the people whose business you wanted to quote unquote mind. So it is our business. It is our business to hold each other accountable. It is our business to speak up when something is going on. Yeah. You got, you know, black men running around here with white girls. We're not going to sit here and be like, oh, don't shame him. No, shame his ass. What the hell? They have to have someone be held accountable. That's what culture is. Culture is accountability. It's expectations. That is what keeps people alive and strong. Every other culture does it. Every other culture does that. You can't come through with the gay shit and the BS because guess what? They, they, they will literally murk you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... Let's say you're in like Abu Dhabi with the gay, like you, it, you're done, like you're exed out. And so now as a result of that, what happens? They don't have to worry about men running around in dresses and makeup, confusing their children because they hold each other accountable. Not saying that there are not men in the Abu Dhabi who are gay, but they're not going to be flaunting that. They're not going to be out here confusing children. They're not going to be out here promoting death resulting lifestyles so it's like I never understood why us as black people have this issue with, with holding each other accountable using white people words like shaming that doesn't even sound like a word that we would make up shaming no screw that we have to hold each other accountable okay you know it, it's the same with like 
fat shaming and all that. Listen, if you overweight, bro, you're 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 messing up your health. I don't understand. Are we supposed to we we have to stop allowing each other to be complacent at low vibrational levels. You need someone to quote unquote shame you and hold you responsible for your actions. Okay? If we're having children in messed up scenarios, is it better to sit back and be like, well, just mind your business, you know, people are going to do what they want to do. Or is it a good idea to speak up and be like, hey, sis, stop being a breeder rat. Stop having babies with every man you fall in love with. Hey, brother, stop ejaculating inside every woman that you deal with. Stop having children in irresponsible situations. I don't understand how that's what's shameful about that. And, and this is, this is, this is the, the bigger picture here. There are certain things that every child needs to have in order to be healthy-minded adults. And the fact that majority of us are not being raised in households with uh, both parents, with a man and a woman, what happens is we now have a part of our psyche that has been unwatered. And the worst part about it is that we don't even know that we're lacking in these areas. All right? When you grow up without witnessing a man and a woman love and support each other, it will cause some kind of dysfunction in your relationship as an adult. And if you don't know this, then you will have issues and not even know that they are an issue. That's why we're constantly arguing about child support and child custody instead of getting to the root of the problem and saying, why don't we just stop having children with people that we're not ready to spend the rest of our life with? That's that dysfunction that we're stuck in that cycle. We'd rather argue all day about how much a man should pay and how much a woman should pay and what she should use child support for and what she shouldn't as opposed to saying, why don't we halt on having children until we can heal as man and woman? If you are a a, a black couple, you have to go through a healing period together before you can get to a productive period as a couple. It is going to take years for you two to work together in order to work through any pain, hurt, or resentment that is deeply rooted in all of us and we have been turned against each other. It's going to take you years to fully understand, educate yourself, and work through this before you should be bringing other lives into the confusion. Right, So now we live in this society of minding your business and don't shame and don't tell anyone else what to do. So everyone keeps their dysfunction and confusion to themselves, which is why I'm so passionate about our show here, African and American, because it's about honesty. It's about me saying, hey, uh, I grew up never seeing a man and a woman live together in a healthy loving successful way and it has caused me to have a lot of confusion and be very lost on my own relationships as an adult so now I I stop the whole facade the whole minding my business and I go ahead and put myself out there to be honest about what I feel and what I go through and now guess what happens I have people writing me every day sister I feel the same way sister 
I've been going through the same thing. Thank you for saying it. You're welcome. Now, some time ago, we didn't have the same communication tools that we have now. We didn't have the internet and phones to communicate how we feel with one another. Now that we have these powerful tools, we can now all kind of come out from under our rocks like, hey, is anybody else messed up or is it just me? (laughs) And now everyone's like, hey, yeah, I'm messed up too. Yeah, I know because it's a situation that plagues us all. Okay, it's it's a situation that we all go through. Most of us go through it. There are some of us, as black people that did have parents that loved each other and I am so happy for you and you're so blessed and fortunate to have been able to witness that healthy relationship and I'm sure it makes it a lot easier for you to have a healthy relationship as an adult and I'm and I'm great it's great for me to hear that however like I said the majority of us that's not the case so now we can start being open and honest about our confusion We can start being open and honest about our ignorance to relationships and support and how it works, how we balance each other out. We can stop putting on that facade and we can start healing. You know, we can start figuring all this out. So it's very important to speak up, speak up and be honest. We're all learning and growing together. We have so much of a healing that has to take place. Okay, so now a majority of us never seen men and women together working together in a positive way. So now we have these relationships that we get caught up in lust because we are so sexualized that we get with someone that just makes us feel good. And then we think that we love this person. We want to marry this person and have kids with this person. And then we quickly realize that it's not that simple. We buy into these concepts of love and romance and we think it's supposed to be a Cinderella fairy tale and we feel that for some time and then that love, loving, lusty, you know, foo-foo, fluffy feeling goes away and then we crash. And, and then we go on to the next relationship and we do the same thing. So we can read about it in books all we want. You know, we can think that we know better or we're doing better but the truth is if you are not living every day of your life as a child in the same household with your mother and father or man and a woman you are going to have to recover from that okay and and that's just a reality and the more that you say well we're not gonna shame people we should mind our business you can't control what people do you're going to keep running into relationships with people who have not been forced to level up and that's the reality that's the harsh truth for us all this is the you know every week we have homework so this week's homework is if you are a black couple i want to do a challenge for one week, one week, to not say anything demeaning to your partner, to not have any smart or condescending or sarcastic comments or petty disagreements with your partner. I challenge you to not raise your voice at at your partner for one week. I challenge you to communicate how you feel I challenge you to rid yourself of all passive aggressive behavior I challenge you to be open and honest with how you feel about things to your partner and then when your partner comes and explains how they feel about certain things I challenge you to be open 
loving and expressive and accepting how they feel and taking that and possibly changing any behavior or actions that make them feel that way. And do you know that when you complete that challenge, you will realize how that is harder to do than what you think? Which goes back to that hidden resentment that we have with one another and the way that we talk to each other. And I realized this when, like I said, I'm going through my healing and I realized this when I'm speaking to a man. And how as a black woman, when you speak to a black man with kindness and pure positivity and uplifting, it throws him off. He feels like you're finessing him or like you or you're lying or you don't really mean it. And it's like Man, how did we get here? How did we get to the point where when we are being genuinely, you know, loved by one of our people or appreciated by one of our people, we feel like they're full of shit? You know, like how how did we get to this point? I I have those moments where I sit back and I I look at us as a whole and I think that I was uh, watching a documentary on the Black Panther Party like two days ago and it was it was great because it was a lot of the original members that are still alive and they were able to give their commentary uh, on the documentary because I'm the kind of person I love hearing things from the horse's mouth. I trust that better than having some Caucasian production company produce a documentary and give the perception as they see fit. So, you know, we went from having strong black love and relationships to protecting each other. The Black Panther Party was so about that life that when the police would pull one of us over or stop one of us, the Black Panther Party would pull up and draw their guns and have them pointed like, if you kill one of ours, we're killing one of you. (laughs) So much pride because... That, okay, if you want to know how much pride and self-love a people in a culture have for themselves, look at how seriously they take their self-defense. That right there will tell you how someone really feels about themselves. So that is back when we had so much pride. We, we, We had so much pride in ourselves that we believed in protecting ourselves. We believed in sticking with one another. And we fast forward to now to where as a black person, you will get attacked by your own people when you defend yourself and your own people. It would blow your minds how much hate mail and messages I get from black people that tell me that I'm disgusting and I'm hate mongering because I feel like black people should stick together and I feel like white people are our enemy and that white people have a a white supremacist system that they can use against me anytime. So I choose not to invest in them and I choose not to put myself in scenarios where they can use that privilege and power over me and that any white person that does use that privilege and power over you, it is your job to defend yourself against it. And I have black people that come to me and are actually upset at the defense of myself and the defense of my family. So that tells you right there where someone's head is at on how they feel about them as a person. I look at how we got here to where women, uh, our women giving birth in a hospital alone is common. 
You know, I, I look like how we got here to where our children only have Jesus and Barack Obama to give them any kind of hope or inspiration, you know, and, and we're so concerned with protecting our feelings and people minding their business and not being shamed that we technically are asking each other to please leave me alone while I'm being mediocre. Please leave me alone while I am exhibiting self-hating behavior. You know, so we step back and we, we have to have that moment where we say, all right, enough is enough. You know, like it is time. It is time. <laughs> you know, it, it is time to step our game up. A, a part of being a good parent is going to be bringing your children into blessed and well thought out, thought out and on purpose situations. Bringing our children into confusion is being a bad parent. And nobody wants to hear that because now your feelings are hurt. Now you're like, I'm, I'm not a bad, I'm a good parent for your information. A good parent is not about what you buy your children or where you take them or what you do with them. A part of being a good parent is being in that household with their, with their mother or father. Don't we want our children to be complete mentally? So it's not enough to say, well, my child get good grades or my child is well behaved. Yeah, but your child will literally be undeveloped on how to live in harmony, how to live in balance with the opposite sex. That's not a problem to you. And we're too busy saying, well, just because you're together does not mean we're too busy making excuses to not even have to try. Us as a people, it, we, we have literally gotten to the point where we say, well, marriage doesn't really work out and things don't really work out. So there's really no point in doing it. Well, we might as well not even breathe because breathing doesn't always work out. <laughs> you know, so um, when, when it comes to our children... What has to happen is we have to uh, take away that selfish, that selfishness where, where you feel personally attacked. So you don't want to talk about that subject. Okay, we, we, we have to get to the point where we're not taking offense to holding each other accountable, where we're not taking offense to saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, you can do better. In today's show, looking at the case of Asada Shakur, a legendary figure within the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army. On Thursday, she became the first woman ever to make the FBI's most wanted terrorist list. In addition, the FBI in the state of New Jersey doubled the reward for her capture to $2 million. Shakur was convicted in the May 2nd, 1973 killing of a New York, of a New Jersey uh, state trooper uh, during a shootout that left one of her fellow activists dead. She was shot twice by police during the incident. In 1979, she managed to escape from jail, and she later fled to Cuba, where she received political asylum. She has long proclaimed her innocence. On Thursday, FBI Special Agent Aaron Ford spoke at a press conference announcing Shakur's placement on the most wanted terrorist list. He refers to Shakur as Joanne Chesimar, her original name.
So this brings us to the king or queen of the week segment. What you just heard was a recording in reference to my idol, Asada Shakur. This is the woman where if I was to meet her, I would just fall at her feet. I would just fall at her feet and kiss her feet. Like I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. And it's very few people I feel that way about. But she is one of the women that I just look up to and adore. A woman of true strength and integrity. A woman with true loyalty to herself and her people. Um, Asada was born July 16th, 1947. She, there, okay, so it, it would take me some time to really go through everything about Asada. Now she has a biography, <coughs> excuse me, she has a biography, it's called Asada. If you have not read it, please read it. It is easily one of the top five books I have ever read in my life. Please check it out. You're welcome. Like, thank me later. She goes into such detail about her life. She makes it so relatable and understandable. When I read it, I finished the book in like 24 hours. Like, I could not even put it down. Like, I just, I was just so intrigued because I resonated with her in so many ways. So, you know, if you think that way, um, as I do, it's just refreshing to read. It makes you feel like, okay, there's someone who feels like I feel. So basically, there was a uh, altercation that went down on the Turnpike in New Jersey back in 1973. She allegedly murdered an officer. Uh, she was taken to jail. But the gag is she escaped from prison. <laughs> she escaped from prison in 1979. Clear getaway. Uh, I don't think they even knew where she was until like almost 10 years later. Like, how much of it? First of all, you're the first woman on the FBI's most wanted lit terrorist list. Like, you're a badass, period. I mean, and then she's one of us. You know what I'm saying? And then she's, she was a part of the, the Black Panther Party. Um, She is still living. She, as I said before, they currently live in Cuba. I, I'm sure you may have seen headlines here and there about her and how they, um, you know, are always having new debates and new uh actions they try to take to get her back here but Cuba isn't giving her back <laughs> so like how much of a badass are you to like allegedly murder a cop go to prison escape from prison and then leave the country and then be like I'm right here and then they can't touch you like bruh let me just bow to your feet right now <laughs> Let me just body your feet right now and let's just, you know, save us all the trouble. So uh, I'm going to play you guys a short excerpt from um, some words that she shared. And these are the words that really made me fall in love with her. Confinement kept in men's prisons because of my political beliefs. So you can figure that one out. Um, what it was prison? Prison was hell. It was a new kind of plantation. I feel like a, I feel like a maroon woman. I feel like an escaped slave because what I I saw in, in in the United States in those prisons was slavery. It was black people with chains in cells. It was just poor people. You know, I mean, just stepped on and smashed. I'll never forget what I saw. I'll never forget what I've lived through. I'll never forget what my people have lived through. All right, all right, all right. I hope you guys enjoyed the 
queen of the week this week. I really enjoy, you know, having us all learn together. Something else I wanted to discuss, because I just see this commonly being misconstrued, so I just wanted to talk about this real quick. So, what if I told you that Nefertiti was not a queen? (gasps) Nefertiti was simply a wife. She was not necessarily a ruler, the one that we sleep on is actually Nefertari. Uh, they, she, sometimes they refer to her as Nefertiri as well. And sometimes we get Nefertiti and Nefertari um, confused. They lived about 50 years apart. Uh, so I don't even think, you know, them as women are confused. I think people confuse them just because their names are so similar. Um, so... Now, this is the way it kind of works. Now, when you see our ancestors work and you see, you know, their statues and their tombs and things in nature, normally the woman, a man's wife is, she's, um, she is constructed smaller than her husband. So normally the man will be large and then the wife comes up to about his knee. Now, if we look at Nefertari, And her statue, she actually is the same size as her husband. Her husband was Ramesses II, which um, he is the most powerful, if not one of the most powerful and longest ruling pharaohs of that time. Nefertari could actually read and write. She actually did diplomatic work. And you can tell her significance by the size of her um, her depictions and her statues. And that's kind of how you can tell the roles that people played during that time. So I just really notice how we get those confused so easily. So I want to just set, set that straight. Nefertiti was more of simply just a, a, a wife, more of a royal wife, but she she wasn't putting that work in like Nefertari uh, put in. Nefertari's remains... I believe her tomb is in the Valley of the Queens in Africa. So that way, when we kind of talk about them, we can kind of like get our facts straight because I feel like Nefertiti is like the poster child for like African queen, but she wasn't really a queen. (laughs) So that's a little fun fact I thought I would share with you guys. Anyway, Something I wanted to talk about, sisters. So I attended an art show here in Orlando uh, on Saturday. It's at a gallery called Three Mass Inc. here in Orlando, Florida. It's one of my favorite places run by a brother named Baba Tunde, Baba Tim, uh, as we call him, uh, Timothy. Uh, his, him and his wife run it um, along with his, his sons are involved in the business as well. Anyway, so I was there and I ended up running into an ex. Um, that I used to deal with some time ago. And he had been like texting me like, good morning, how are you? Hi, beautiful. And I was just like, why are you randomly like texting me this random stuff? Like I literally would never even respond. Like he'll be like, good morning, I'll never respond. Then later he'll be like, how are you? And then I realized like, you know what? You know what's going on? You know, a lot of men, they trying to keep keep one foot in that door. So I'm turning into the Matrix guy. I want you guys to really visualize 
my face when I'm saying this. So I'm turning back into the Matrix guy, okay? Turning back into Lawrence Fishburne with some really dark shades on when I'm saying this. <laughs> okay, so what if I told you that you're confused because you're single, but you have guys hitting you up, but you having guys hitting you up is why you're single. <gasps> I know. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh my God, it's no big deal. I mean, a guy texting me good morning here and there and how are you doing here and there is no big deal. It is a big deal. So when I ran into the ex, like I was just telling y'all about who was texting me and then I eventually blocked him because I'm like, what the hell? I'm not responding to anything you're saying back. So I'm very confused as to why you're still hitting me up. Well, I'm not very confused because I know why you are because you you probably realize you fucked up and now you're trying to slowly ease your way back in there. No, no, no. Stay away, Satan. So I ran into him at the art show. So isn't that awkward when you've been like, you know, avoiding someone and then you run into them in person, you feel as though like, oh shit, like I'm caught. <laughs> so I saw and I was like, oh Lord, he's going to have questions. You know, so he saw me and we got to talking. I'm like, yeah, hey, how you been? You know, I just blocked you. No big deal. So he was like, you know, he's like, do you have a new number? You know, I was hitting you up and I wasn't getting through. And I'm like, so I was like, you know what? I'm too grown to lie. So I was like, yeah, I blocked you. So he looks at me like, you blocked me. I'm like, yep. He's like, why? I was just, you know, saying good morning. I was just seeing how your day was. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, imagine how that would make me look. Let's say that, you know, I meet someone who really does actually like me and want to actually treat me good and want to actually build with me. And then, you know, we chilling and I got niggas texting me like, hey, beautiful, how's your day going? Be honest, ladies. How many Niggas, do you got texting you like, what are you doing? When can I see you? Send me a picture. I mean, keep it real. Come and tell you, if a man really wants you, he is going to make it happen. If he really wants you, there's not going to be no... It's, half of the time, niggas don't even say, what are you doing? It's like W-Y-D. You know what I'm saying? Like... He, if, if he really is serious about being with you, about building with you, he is going to put forth effort. He's not going to be like, what are you doing? When can I see you? He's going to be like, hey, can I take you to dinner tonight? He's going to be like, do you want to go to the park later? Do you want to take a walk? Do you want to come over and talk? I'm going to make you dinner. You know, he's going to, he's, he's putting out work and he's going to be focused on you. He's going to want to win you and keep you. So now, you know, let's say now you, you run into that guy, that guy that is serious, that guy that is really going to build a future with you. And meanwhile, you got niggas texting you and talking about good morning, beautiful. And does it mean that you're sleeping with them? Does it mean that you're being promiscuous? No. But when you're in the single life, you know, you, you give your number out. You might have people that you casually are just talking to here and there, but it's not going anywhere. And if it's taking a man days and days or weeks and weeks to put forth valid effort to actually see you, not sending you like questionnaires on text messages like, so where you're from? And like, so what do you like to do for fun? Like, no, you don't get to cheat that way. You know, so you have to go off of a man's actions. 
You got to make a man invest in you from the beginning. You don't get to get my number and then send me a few text messages trying to get information and figure me out on to, you know, whether you like me or not. If a man seriously wants to pursue you, he is going to take you out to get to know you. If a man doesn't want to spend 50 bucks on some, you know, dinner somewhere to sit down and talk and, you know, actually look you in your eyes, feel your spirit, feel your energy to let you know he's interested and get to know you, don't talk to him. Do not settle for these text message foot halfway in the door questionnaires where this guy is just texting you here and there to see if maybe one day you'll get lonely and desperate enough to let him hit it block them better yet you know if if you give a man your because at the end of the day when you meet someone sometimes you don't have time to really feel them out at the time where you kind of cross paths you know so if you are single and you're trying to you know prepare yourself for that one if there is a man that sends you a, you know that, that hits you up and says hey you know I want your number or, you know I want to I want to talk to you you can pretty much tell by the first conversation what he's about if on that first conversation he has not um, set up plans to see you and look in your eyes and talk to you, sis, he's probably not serious. I'm just going to keep it real. Cause there's so many men. I had a, I had actually did a post about this on my Instagram page. There's so many men. They say they want a queen. They say they want a goddess. And then when they run across one, there are, and I'm saying some men. So before you guys start crying and writing me saying that I'm generalizing, I'm not generalizing. I am saying, I'm not saying all, I'm saying some. Some men see that pretty flower, see that pretty woman, and they pick it, and they don't really have a plan for what their next step is. I mean, sometimes men can kind of be animalistic and instinctive, where like they see that fresh meat, and they perk up, and they go for it, but they didn't really think that far ahead. It's like, okay, so what's going to happen once I actually get her number? There are a lot of guys who are in such financial ruins, they don't even have 50 bucks to take you to dinner. Which if you are a man in that situation, the last thing you need to be worried about is dating. You need to get your money up, babe. So, sisters, you give your number out. That first conversation, if he's playing around, sis, let me tell you something. Block him. Because then when you come across that real man that actually does want to invest, that actually does want to build, you're going to look crazy as hell having these random niggas hit your phone that don't want nothing. Sis. You're not missing anything. And they don't want nothing. Because if they did want something, you'd know it immediately. And I'm going to keep it real. So I, I told my ex that. He was like, oh, well, you know, he thinking, like, I changed my number. I'm like, no, I didn't change it. I blocked you. And I said, I blocked you because I'm trying to set myself up to find, you know, a real relationship and to work towards marriage. And I have to make sure that I don't have random men hitting my phone for no reason. So he kind of like stepped back and looked at me like, oh. And so he's like, well, damn. He was like, well, I I can't do anything but respect that. I'm like, you know, thank you. Nice seeing you. Have a nice day. It's that simple. Unapologetic. And, and as a woman, yeah, you do kind of have to fight within yourself because society tells us that we're not allowed to have standards. Society tells us that we're not allowed to stand up for ourselves. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you that's a lie, you know, and and you got to be ready because as a woman, 
When you set standards for yourself, when you demand your respect, you will be villainized. You will be demonized. You will get called all kind of bitches and mean and stuck up. And you got to be ready for that. But you have to be so secure in yourself and so secure in your femininity that you can disregard that and say, you know what? If me having standards, if me demanding my respect, if me standing up for myself makes me a bitch to you, then that's what it is. Because that's really what it all comes down to. I have some people that may have met me and they may say that was the sweetest woman I ever met. And there may be some people that met me that be like, oh, that bitch. And that's fine. Because as a woman, you're going to get whatever you give me. So a lot of women don't speak their mind. A lot of women don't stand up for themselves because they don't want that title. But let me tell you something. People that really mean well for you, people that really respect you are not going to be offended by you saying, I'm not taking no stuff. I repeat this again for the one millionth time. Don't ever for a second, sister, think that being feminine means being weak. It actually means the complete opposite. A woman strong in her femininity is unyielding. She is relentless. She is not forgiving. So it's funny how the not the same things that we do out of boredom when you are single are the same things that keep you single, sisters. You know, block. The block button is your best friend as a woman because men are territorial. So once they get your number, a lot of them feel like that means that they're going to also get your vagina. So they're probably not going to stop texting you. That's probably, like I said, a lot of men, girl, you'd be surprised. A lot of men, they literally will just keep going and keep going. Like I said, until they, they run across that one either drunk night or lonely night where you're going to give in. <laughs> so there's really no point in saying anything to the man because this is your mind, your body, you don't have to explain yourself to anything, to anyone. I don't recommend as a woman to where if you see that a man is wasting your time, I don't even recommend you explaining to him that he's wasting your time and explaining to him that you don't want him to call you anymore or that you are going to block him because, oh yes, I'm definitely here to waste your time and to maybe only stick around to see if you'll get desperate enough to let me have sex with you, said no man ever. Don't wait for permission from a man to set your uh, standards of self-respect. So my recommendation is don't even say anything because if he's the type of guy that's wasting your time, he's probably the type of guy that is also manipulative. So your best bet is to do what you know you need to do, which is to block him and keep him moving because he wasn't about nothing. So that way you can honestly say, I'm not dealing with anyone. I don't have any ties to anyone. There ain't nobody hitting my phone and doing all that. When you do come across that good brother, when you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready, sis. So the second part of homework for this week, sisters, is the block button. I'm talking about block, block, block. I mean, it's a block party. We got barbecue, music, a DJ. Boy, I got the most lit block party ever. I wish I could just show you guys my block list. Like, no, how it's just, you know, accumulated over the years. And and when I block you, I block you everywhere. I block your phone number, social media, Facebook. I don't want no niggas hitting my phone messing me up with a real man don't even call me don't look at me don't follow me <laughs> you know and, and and they're gonna think that you a bitch for that they're gonna think you're stuck up for that they're gonna think you all this and that but fuck that i'm sorry about my language but fuck that 
You know what I mean? You you know what's best for you, sis. Nobody is going to come to you and tell you, hey, you really shouldn't waste your time. Hey, you really shouldn't. No, this is up to you to decide, sister. So homework, hit the block button. So that wraps up this week's episode for us. I want everyone to, I want to let everyone know that I am thankful for you listening. I hope that everyone is logging on to purchase their tickets for Return of the Gods. My website, sixthegoddess.com, launches this week. You will be able to purchase tickets for Return of the Gods on the website. So everybody get their homework done. And as always, peace, love, and black power.